airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh oh. Uh oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. Sherry B is over in Studio CC, and we really appreciate her. We'll open our phone lines up in the last segment. I've got three copies of a book that I want to be able to give away to you in that last segment. Um, we're planning to interview Lauren Wright Sema, and she is the author of the book, In Their Shoes, Helping Parents Better Understand and Connect with Children of Divorce. So we're going to talk about blended families today. We're going to talk about the struggles of living in a blended family yeah. and uh, what that is like from the child's perspective. And uh, I think this is very fascinating as mm-hmm. we in the body of Christ are navigating many different areas. What we want to do um, on Aaron the Addisons is be a blessing to the family. Yeah. Right. And so right. your your family may have a struggle in a particular area um, that, you know, we may not commonly think of. Mm-hmm. Right. But mm-hmm. we we want to think of it and, and we yeah. want to be a blessing wherever we can. And so for every blended family, every step family, um, you know, for the stepmom or the stepdad who's right. listening and you know, there are unique struggles to rearing um, somebody else's kid yeah. who you would like to think of as your kid. You want right. you want that type of relationship, That's right. but there are different obstacles that come along with that, and we want to acknowledge that, and we want to talk to an expert on that. And yeah. so hopefully that'll be a blessing to our listeners today. And uh, we've got three copies of this book awesome. in their shoes. And so in the last segment, you keep listening. We'll open up the phone lines, and we'll give away three copies of this book to bless a family um, and I would ask if you have really been going through the ringer mm. recently, um, you be on standby to call in. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, there's some people you're like, no, we're OK. I mean, you yeah. know, we've we've kind of caught our stride and we know what we're doing in our blended family. And so I would just ask if you would kind of hang back and maybe allow for the callers who are like, oh, no, we, <laughs> we, please. S.O.S. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the thing is, it's, so. it's all it's already. Uh, complicated or it could be a struggle just with normal families. Just just raising kids when, yeah. generally. Yeah, that's right. When you add those other elements of maybe someone else's uh, child that that's you're right. raising. That's and right. Man, it, it, it becomes even that more complicated. So yeah. I think this will be a great uh, interview, a great help to people. I'm looking forward to it. I'm yeah. hoping that we can be a blessing and an encouragement and uh, do what we do in the body of Christ, which is rally around one another right. and meet each other's needs. You know, we pray for and we encourage, we strengthen, we inform and we equip, and this is another show that seeks to do that. So that's coming right. up in the next segment. Um, in this first segment, I want to do some things that we didn't get to yesterday. And, you know, I, we, we really want to, we want our listeners to walk away from Aaron the Addisons. Like, if you invest this time, we want you to feel um, that you've learned something that spurs you on, right? Mm-hmm. Something that is encouraging to you, mm-hmm. but also that you have been able to drill down a little bit deeper into some of the issues that we talk about and understand the spiritual implications of what we see manifesting in our culture today. Yeah. Because we do not believe that the physical manifestations that we observe in culture are just sort of um, randomly occurring. Mm-hmm. 
we believe that there are spiritual underpinnings under what we see um, manifested in the culture. That's right. Right. Just to say it that way. And I know that makes people sound a little, feel no. a little weird. They're like, ah, make it sounds a little. But this is, look, the Bible talks about this, right? Yeah. So what I want to do is I mentioned yesterday and we didn't get to go all into it because um, so many of us across the country were navigating and dealing with <laughs> this news that came from Chick-fil-A, our, right. our beloved Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I mean, we love these people. Right. You know what I mean? All across the country, we love these people. You know, we've got listeners. We know that they, look, they, there's one that's an hour away. We might make the trip for, you know, <laughs> to be able to go and partake. So anyway, we were dealing with that yesterday, and there may be more to say on that um, on a future show. But today, what I want to do is yesterday we mentioned um, watching what the media is doing and watching the aim of um, radical homosexual pro-transgender activist groups and what their what their desire is in the next five years. They've got a five-year plan. Mm. And their desire is in the next five years that media, uh, and, and they mean broadcast, they mean cable television, yeah. and then they mean streaming, that in the next five years, 20% of their characters or their series regulars will fall into the category of LGBTQ plus characters. Yeah, okay? you gotta ask like so why? They 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 just they always are trying to put that in front of your face mm -hmm. to make it normal. So this is a part of the larger agenda that when a conservative says that there is an agenda that the yeah. homosexual activists have an agenda, I mentioned this yesterday. We didn't have time to drill down. We'll do that as much as we can today. Um when a conservative or when a Christian conservative says that um, this is a part of a large agenda, mm -hmm. we usually get, get pushed back to walking that statement back as if we're conspiratorial. Right. You know? And in 2009, I purchased a book, and you may have heard of this book. It's called After the Ball. In 2009, I bought this book for like nine bucks, mm -hmm. something like that off Amazon, you know. Now, I think if you go and try to find it on Amazon, it might be like $70. I've seen it in other places for like hundreds of dollars. It's out of print. And I think that says a lot about the success of this book. But the complete title of the book is After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. This book was published in 1989. And this book was written by two men, Marshall Kirk and Hunter Madsen. Marshall Kirk, who died, by the way, in 2005, uh, he was a researcher and he studied his, his area of expertise was neuropsychiatry, all right, neuropsychiatry. So he, he, his area of expertise was how the brain works, mm. okay, and mm -hmm. how people think and function and, and how we feel about ourselves and all of these things, okay. And then the, the co-author, Hunter Madsen, who I, as recent as, Oh, man, when was this, Will? Maybe 2016, 2017. Um, I stumbled upon an interview that he did, and, and he did this interview in 2015. So as recent as 2015, uh, he was talking about the success of After the Ball, mm. but still being very coy about the fact that this was actually an agenda that worked, right? So Hunter Madsen um, received his doctorate in politics from Harvard in 1985, and he is an expert on public persuasion tactics and social marketing. Wow. <laughs> so wow. you've a got combination. A, a book <laughs> that is co-authored by mm -hmm. a neuropsychiatrist and a marketing expert, right. a social marketing expert. Right. And again, let me just remind you of the title of the book. The book is After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. This is the agenda, and what I want to what I what I want to prove to you today 
by reading several excerpts from this book, what I want to prove to you today is that it was successful. Let me tell you something. The conversation that we are having about Chick-fil-A is thanks in part to this book and the great success of it. <laughs> we didn't even realize that we were walking through the implementation of this agenda in the 90s and early 2000s. We didn't know that that's what was happening, that's right. but it is precisely what was happening. So let me start with you. Let me, let me read to you. And I know, you know, we need, to, we need to make our case, right? We need to make our case. So here is the purpose of the book. I have the book in hand here. Here is the purpose of the book. This book is about hope and dread. It explores the dire necessity and the real possibility of reconciling America to its large, oppressed, and inescapable minority, gay men and women. It proposes a practical agenda for bringing to close at long last the seemingly permanent crisis of American homosexuality. Let me repeat, it proposes a practical agenda for bringing to a close at long last the seemingly permanent crisis of American homosexuality. So they say in this book mm -hmm. that this is their agenda. Mm -hmm. This is their practical plan for how they are going to normalize homosexuality in America. Now, again, we've got someone who is, uh, you know, working with people's heads, mm -hmm. all right? And then we've got someone who is an expert in marketing, all right? And, and the social sciences, if you will. Yeah. So now, listen to this. And, and again, <laughs> I, I really feel like this all kind of ties in with the attack on Chick-fil-A and as it appears, and we're still waiting to hear from Chick-fil-A, but it appears that Chick-fil-A has caved. It is and it isn't Chick-fil-A's fault. I gotta tell you, hmm. what we're looking at is the agenda continuing its success. That you paint people a certain way and then you make other people disassociate from those people. All right, this is, this is expressly laid out in this book from 1989, okay? Mm -hmm. Our country has fallen because of the tenacity of those who would implement this agenda. Reading for you here now, the introduction, all right, and, and what they called what looked in the 80s, the late 80s, early 90s, to be an insurmountable opportunity, all right? Here we go. The campaign that we outline in this book, though complex, depends centrally upon a program of unabashed propaganda, firmly grounded in long-established principles of psychology and advertising. Some readers will be disappointed with the seemingly tame idea of a propaganda campaign. <laughs> They'd rather storm the barricades or at least parade defiantly in pink cha-cha hills on the next gay pride day. <laughs> Man. Alas, in a way, we too would like to storm some barricades. But such tactics, such tactics have proven themselves impractical, ineffective, or even harmful, and their day is past. After all, it is hostile public opinion that has thwarted the gay movement at every turn. So it is hostile public opinion that we must address. Does this seem boring? If so, make no mistake. In its own way, this will be a hot campaign with all the excitement and theatrics of any other approach and with a better chance of at least partial success. Wow. They surpassed what they... I mean, it was no partial success. They <laughs> okay, I'll continue. I, okay, in all candor, in all candor, 
we're not convinced that the whole of our scheme will work as intended. It worked better than the <laughs> right. by the way. They write, 1989, after the ball, they write, some elements, though potentially highly effective, will probably be rejected by gays out of hand because they require too much effort or too much discipline or too much self-restraint or too much money. Hmm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They got... Wow. Now, again... This was in 1989. So, man. Okay, this is in 1989. So now I, I, want, I want you to understand this book that was published in 1989 began as an article in 1987 that was expanded to the book that I now hold in my hand. Mm. In 1987, the article that was published was titled After the Ball, The Overhauling of Straight America. The Overhauling of Straight America. This was expanded into the book that I now hold in my hand. So I want you to listen to something here, okay? The media, because I'm, we're talking about GLAAD releasing its, uh, its report with where we are on TV and where we want to go in the next five years. They've got a five-year plan here. In 1989, Madsen and Kirk declared that the media would be their tool to overhaul America. 1989. In 1989, mm -hmm. okay? Now listen to this. When in a 1985 Christopher Street article represented a blueprint for a national propaganda effort, doubters derided the proposal as irrelevant or impotent, the methods as demeaning and fraudulent, and our intent as reactionary. In February 1988, however, a quote-unquote war conference of 175 leading gay activists representing organizations from across the land convened in Warrington, Virginia, to establish a four-point agenda for the gay movement. The conference gave first priority to a nationwide media campaign to promote a positive image of gays and lesbians. Mm. And its final statement concluded, listen, this was the final statement from this 1988 meeting. Quote, we must consider the media in every project we undertake. We must, in addition, take every advantage we can to include public service announcements and paid advertisements and to cultivate reporters and editors of newspapers, radio and television to help facilitate this. We need national media workshops to train our leaders. Our media efforts are fundamental to the full acceptance of us in American life. Wow. Sounds like a strategy straight from the evil one. They had it down to the T. We'll grab the break. Aaron the Addisons wow. on American Family Radio. We'll pick up with this in the third segment. We'll be right back. It's airing the Addisons on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We really do appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And now, um, Sherry B is over in Studio CC. She's gotten her guest on for us for this segment, and we are so grateful that we're mm -hmm. going to have an opportunity to kind of, I, I hope that we will be a blessing to families who are really trying to figure some things out and yeah. maybe feeling isolated, maybe feeling like no one understands or that, you know, that their situation is so unique right. that there's not a blueprint or that there's not help. And, right. and I hope that today we say, hey, there yeah. is help. And yeah. again, Amen. we've got three copies of this book that we're about to discuss to give away. So keep listening. We'll do that in our third and final segment. But let me go ahead and introduce our guest who is author of the book. Well, the book is In Their Shoes, Helping Parents Better Understand 
and Connect with Children of Divorce. It's written by Lauren Wright-Sema, and she is a Vice President of Strategy and Communications at the Center for Relationship Education and has been a featured speaker at Family Life's Blended Summit and Blended and Blessed Conferences. Mm. And so we're going to talk to her today about understanding uh, what children of divorce go through when there is divorce and then remarriage. And mm-hmm. I think that that may be a component that we don't consider. We talk about yeah. what the parents feel and how they're trying to deal with the stepchild, but maybe there is an aspect of this that we need to investigate um, that will help us navigate this conversation yeah. a little bit better. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I've only given a brief kind of background of who you are, but would you tell our audience why you are qualified to write a book like this and talk a little bit about your experience in ministering to blended families? I'd love to. I I feel like it was a humbling process to be able to write the book, but the first thing that I think may be credentialed was that I am a child of divorce and have since that experience in my life as an adolescent, gone on to speak in prevention for relationship education for the last uh, years of my career. And I've been speaking and training and teaching for about 20 years in that field and have taken a lot of the personal anecdotal stories from my experience and mixed that with the professional uh, and the research-based relationship skills components of what I do, which uh, has kind of married itself to create a resource that I think has a a unique voice and a different perspective that's both authentic, but also science-based. So then, Lauren, let's let's start with that then. Um, Based on your experience and what you have learned in counseling and and ministering to blended families, what is probably the biggest thing or one of the biggest things we don't understand about the child's perspective of divorce and remarriage? So I I actually had started uh, when I was attending a conference. I, I was speaking to one of the breakout speakers who is brilliant in uh, his field regarding how parents should expect children to behave and what they're going through and what children are feeling. And I just add, I had the inclination to ask the question, well, I, I just loved your keynote and I'd love to know more. How do you know, you know, what's your expertise around children of divorce? Did your parents get divorced? And he said, no. And I thought, but oh, that's interesting. And it wasn't disparaging his credentials at all, but I just mm-hmm. thought, I wonder uh, why and where you know most of the research is coming from, and I started to research what types of books, what types of resources were were out there for divorced families, and most of them I found were coming from PhD level counselors and really wonderful, amazing people. But many of them had not walked in the shoes of somebody who had actually packed a suitcase, gone back and forth, and lived the divorce mm, narrative. And so yeah. I think that I just felt in that moment that there was an opportunity to maybe share some insight on what children experience that have a lot of unintended effects on the adults and maybe intended sometimes, but to be able to speak from an empathetic new lens, I thought might actually encourage some hope and some different perspectives. And so I kind of toyed around with the idea, told a few of my stories, mostly to step parents step parents who were pursuing me at the time saying, why is my teenager acting like this? Or I just can't get through to them or nothing I do is good enough. And I simply would just say, well, have you considered this? Or when I was in their shoes, here's something that I may experience Mm -hmm. that 
might help. And as I started telling these stories, people just said, you need to write these down. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. I'd never thought about it that way. Wow. I, I'm not coming at it from that, from that angle. And that for this idea to maybe share an angle that would add a two-sided perspective to an often one-sided approach to recovering from divorce and blood and family uh, hurt. Yeah, so let's get, let's get into some of that. I, I would like to go into um, a little bit of detail because I think that right now there are some parents who are on the edge of their seat and, and they're like, okay, you know, what is it that I don't understand? Because I think that for parents in blended families, of course, and I'm speaking, I don't, I don't have any blended experience, but I have talked to parents who are in blended families and they feel like they're doing all they can to sort of reach across the family, if you will, to that stepkid, but it just seems like it's not received. And so I think that if, if you could provide some insight into maybe what the stepchild is thinking, um, I just think that would be an incredible blessing. That's my hope. I feel like that insight in the book is, has already come back just in a short release right now to, to say you're really challenging me to think about perspectives that are new. So I, is that something you – would you like me to share a couple yes. examples of that? Yes. Let's talk about it at a general level. I would say that – so one of the things that I, I would really encourage if you are on the edge of your seat as a step-parent saying nothing I do is enough, I want you to just remind yourself right now that it's not about you. I think that so often – we try and attach the pursuit of affection or reciprocated love from a stepchild uh, based on how we treat that person, how we uh, engage, how we're present, how we show up, how we offer unconditional love. And what I have shared with my own step parents in my adult years, and also now that I'm able to look back and have a little bit more of an understanding with language to be able to communicate, is that rarely was my disconnect about them. It was all about my own process, my own grief, uh, and identity struggles, things that I was, where I was trying to fit in the world. And I think that when you can release the stress of trying to do this role perfectly and trying to form, formulize how to connect, you really, there's a process of connection that requires a surrender and a, I don't want to say a lowering of expectations, but I do want to emphasize that adjusting expectations to a realistic understanding of the divorce experience for a child is a really important piece to consider when you're actually moving toward them. Um, persistence and trust, trustworthy uh, attendance at things and allowing them to have control of when, what they share and how what they withhold. And, and uh, I, I really often tell step-parents that it's, never um, easy to, re- to get the rejections and, and the disrespect that you sometimes get from a step-parent, but if you're able to lessen the power that you give to those types of behavioral adjustments, you're in a much better position to receive genuine connection when a child is ready to give it. Okay, let me, let me, let me see if I understand just that last bit that you said. Um, so if, if we, what does that, what does that look like if, if a parent is not fueling disrespect and and kind of allowing the kid to, to walk through the emotional upheaval that is divorce and then remarriage. Because I will just say, Lauren, so I am a child of divorce. However, my mom didn't remarry. And so I think that the difference is, you know, that emotional component of like, where do I fit in all of this? And and I, I so I, I really want our 
I want our step parents to understand what the the divorce the child of divorce is experiencing, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I and I'm trying to drill down just a little bit because I feel like there's a little bit more that is maybe like an aha moment for parents who are listening. Absolutely. I think it's really telling that you come from a divorced family, but because your parent didn't remarry, you still hold on to every tradition, every pattern, every routine. And uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say every, but many of those things that unified or I, I existed before the divorce don't disappear completely until a new person is brought into the mix with their own set of family okay. expectations and roles. And so there, I would love to just start by actually affirming your differentiation, that there, there is a different experience that I've found when you're living and, and surviving divorce from a child's perspective and your parents choose not to remarry because it's the, it's the blending part that typically elicits a lot of the components of the lingering effects, as I call them in the book, of emotions and processes that you didn't actually deal with until the new person was around. Mm. So it's not actually the family structure of divorce in itself that elicits some of these behaviors from children, but it's actually the presence of a brand new system that is engaging with what they knew to be their normal. And what I like to say is, if you ever play with a have you ever played with an Etch-a-Sketch before and yes. you draw the picture and you shake? So let's say that the pre-divorce narrative had a picture and the kid gets a fresh perspective and they shake it. It's as if the knobs are not only being turned a different direction, but you don't know where that prior picture fits. Mm-hmm. And that experience, when you're already trying to get your footing in your, as a, a confident and content and uh, very self-actualized adolescent, if you will, if you are missing that family component of your identity and all of a sudden brand new traditions and brand new uh, routines, uh, I always share a really, it's a silly example, but when, before my parents got divorced, we all had a trash day at our house and I'm one of four siblings and mm-hmm. one of us got the upstairs little trash cans in the bathroom and one of us got the basement and mm-hmm. then the other two you know, got the main floor, we all brought it to the garage. And that was just a very routine, normal part of my family narrative. And after remarriage and divorce, both houses had different trash days, people that had different siblings or step-siblings or half-siblings in the mix. And so the roles were distributed the same way. And even in that simple, simple act of emptying a trash can as part of a team with a, a, a mascot and a color scheme and a jersey when it's like you're putting on a brand new jersey and no one really explained the playbook and you're trying to figure out if you still have skill to get your team into the end zone. Mm. And there's just a lot of of reframing and starting over that you don't necessarily expect uh, sometimes many years after the divorce has even happened. Okay, so then for the parent who's listening who says, okay, I get that, they're thinking – Okay, I understand. So this is a total upheaval. Now you're being introduced into a new system. There may be a type of shock, you know what I mean? When you're taking fish out of one bowl, putting them into the other, you've got to be very careful with that. I think that somebody listening would say, okay, Lauren, I get you. So what is my role in this transition? How do I help without hurting? 
That is such a good question. I think the first thing I would offer is to really have open dialogue about the timeline that you attach to the milestones you're trying to accomplish. I think one of the biggest uh, intentions in a set parent's heart is to get close and improve themselves pretty quickly. And I think uh, oftentimes that can sometimes backfire in a, a blended family situation if it's not if it's not dealt with very sensitively and slowly. So the first thing I would do is say is, practically speaking, be patient and don't expect uh, perfection. Um, I would even say perfection ever because there's, there's imperfections in blending a family uh, no matter what stage you're in. But I would also say that give yourself grace to accept those little deposits of closeness and write them down, repeat them, Make sure that you uh, give context to when it happened and, and try and replicate that situation rather than going in with a game plan that you're going to execute. I think, uh, I, I think about water taking on a shape of a vase rather than having a mold that you're supposed to fit into. And I believe that there's so many nuances nuances and personalities and different types of loss. Maybe not all step parents are in a blended family situation because of divorce. Maybe somebody's lost a parent to death, mm -hmm. which is a very different experience. Uh, oftentimes has some similar themes, but different experiences. But I would say if you can approach your role rather than with a game plan and a blueprint, um, but with a, I'm going to have some priorities and some flexibility and, and then grace and space and then patient endurance are the are two just postures I would approach the situation with. The other thing I would say for your own edification is if you find yourself very hurt regularly, which is an occurrence I, I know I cause and I know a lot of set parents feel daily, do your best to not internalize the way that children make you feel as a character flaw in you mm, um, and, and find those adults in your life, find the people that uh, whether it's a, a group at your place of worship or whether it's a, a, a community member who can actually speak to your value and speak to your, all the things that they love about you um, as deposits, because you're not going to get a lot of those initial deposits from the kids and you'll start to actually feel deflated and sometimes even depressed. Um, and it, it has gone, I've seen it become so heavy sometimes where the marriage is actually at risk a second time because they just can't get a win. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just would, I'd speak encouragement and I would speak value over you and I would let you know that you're not alone. So Lauren, we're headed to the end of this segment here, but can we squeeze in the other resources that you would recommend to our listeners and then how they can connect with you? Absolutely. I think the the first thing, if you are interested in the contents of this lens, In Your Shoes as a book is a wonderful read that is very full of story. And it's, it's just something that I think has blessed all families, not okay. just blended families. So whether you know a family, it's uh, age appropriate for children to read. Many people have asked me of that. And then I, I know uh, Family Life Blended, particularly through the resources that I've been okay. Uh, Lauren, I'm gonna have to. I'm, I'm gonna have to jump in. I'm so sorry. We gotta grab this break. We, take the break. We'll be right back.
those breaks are very disrespectful, Lauren. They just, they don't <laughs> wait for you to yield at all. They're just like, stop talking right now. And I apologize to you for that. That's okay. I'm Italian. I've, I'm used to being interrupted my whole life. Okay. Go. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Excellent. So no hard feelings. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. Our guest is Lauren Wright-Sema, and she is the author of In Their Shoes, Helping Parents Better Understand and Connect with Children of Divorce, who are speaking specifically of blended family dynamics. And I didn't want us to just kind of cut it off before we were able to kind of tie it up just a little bit, because this is a big deal, as, as you know, Elsie wouldn't have written this book. This is a huge deal, and this affects the church. I mean, mm-hmm. we've got families that are hurting because you've got step-parents who feel disrespected, they feel unappreciated, they feel unloved, and inside they're thinking, I'm doing all that I can. And so I really wanted this program to be a blessing to those parents and to the children. Because I think that if you have parents who understand how to navigate the children, then you have children who are on the receiving end of being blessed, right? Yeah. Like they don't, they're not constantly being provoked. So I was asking before we went to the break um, how our listeners could connect with you and maybe access other resources that would be a blessing to their family. So you could just start again giving that information. Yeah, absolutely. If you're interested in the content of the book, I would encourage you to pick it up. It's been on the shelves for just about a month now, so it's a fresh read and something you'll enjoy. And then I know that Family Life Blended has a podcast that has featured many, many guests in a lot of different areas of blended families, and I have been encouraged by that podcast if if you're somebody who likes to tune into those channels. And then if you're looking at just resources for preventing divorce in your church, uh, our agency the Center for Relationship Education in Denver, Colorado, is all about certification and relational wellness resources and skills that we're trying to impact the next generation for building healthy relationships, uh, not just in families, but with friends and uh, their work relationships and all of the things. And so we, if you'd like to go to www.myrelationshipcenter.org, once again, myrelationshipcenter.org, you'll be able to find some of our resources for prevention strategies for relational wellness. And I would just make sure that as you pursue blended families, you do it with a little bit of a different lens because they're not experiencing the same dynamics yeah. that yeah. are in every family ministry. Okay, Lauren, I, I have two more questions and then and then I'll let you go. But I, I just, one of the things I think that um, parents in blended families um, wonder about just based on my conversations with parents in blended families, right? Is this dynamic of being like, say, for example, you're the mom, right? And so you're the stepmom. Do you have any thoughts about the role of being the mom versus being the friend? Is there is there a delicate balance to how that is navigated with the child of divorce that you could give us some unique insight into? I would be really cautious with the mom role Mm -hmm. uh, because of the deep-rooted connection and the idea. um, Let me me rephrase that. I would be cautious with how you approach the mom role depending on how the either former spouse of your current uh, partner is in the relationship or what age the child is. If you are dealing with very, very young children, uh, toddler years, things like that, it makes a little bit more sense to take on some of that motherly disciplinarian role. But there is a lot, I think there's a lot more 
legroom for you to cultivate a healthy and authentic relationship if you start with a friend and move toward the idea of a parent figure. I love both my step-parents very much, and they are wonderful people in my life, but I I actually have not been able to embrace them or call them uh, mom or dad, and that is just because of all the things that are internal to a child's identity that doesn't attach itself to that parent. I'm not saying I'm the expert or the only, but I do find that that expectation of earning your way into a parent role and to be called mom or dad can often leave wounds that can be avoided if you simply adjust your expectations a bit. Mm, That's good. Oh, that's good. And then my final question is navigating the hurtful things that, um, step parents experience and the hurtful things that come from stepchildren, um, you know, the, the disrespect and, you know, sometimes the things that, that are said in the heat of the moment, um, what advice do you have for parents in navigating that? Um, how do they, you know, I don't know if even discipline is the right word, so you'll correct me on that if it isn't, but how do you navigate it? Let me just say it like that. The first thing I would say is empathy goes a long way, and very often, the self-protection of the parent role is so appalled by the behavior that's coming towards them that they forget the behavior that was dealt to them from a divorce or a death. Uh, There is a lot of pain and a lot of grief that kids experience with a broken, blended family or divorce picture. And yet, because it's been so normalized, Many kids aren't given permission to actually struggle where they Mm. need to, and so that struggle comes out against the step-parents a lot. So I would just say, as much as you're hurting, remember that they have equal amounts of pain. It just manifests differently. Lauren, thank you so much. I want to say this, and I I appreciate you, and I appreciate your time. I'm grateful for this book. In fact, we've got three copies uh, we're going to give away here. Um, But but let me just say, I want to highlight, if I could double back to something that you just said, that I think is highlight worthy for our parents listening, especially in obviously blended family situation, that the trauma that we know divorce and remarriage to be is the same, even though it is normalized in our culture today. I think that is a profound statement. I, and I, 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 I would expect that you realize that already, but I, I think though what we don't recognize is that what we once said about divorce and remarriage we have kind of downplayed because mm. it happens so frequently. So, yeah. so we don't allow yeah. children to actually live out the weight of what we have previously said about divorce and about this breaking of this bond. I think that is really profound, and I'm, I'm going to be chewing on that because I think if we recognize that, Lauren, to your point, I think that there would be a greater deal of compassion versus what tends to be the get over it, I'm here now and everything is going to be okay, that there is a grief process that children of divorce are walking through. You nailed it on the head. Oh, that man. Is exactly, that is that, exactly the lens in which I unpack and explore that the, the trauma has not lessened. It's the expectation of getting over it more quickly that has grown. And oh. kids are still feeling the same pain of something that is just as, grief grief stricken in their their spirit and their family it's just culturally it's more seen and it's more pervasive lauren this is this is profound and and i you know i don't um 
I don't want us to miss this moment. I really don't. Like this is this is a mind-blowing moment for me because I don't even think that in my thinking and processing where we are as our 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 in our culture and our church culture, I don't think that we have understood this point right here that we've just landed on. And I think that this is a huge takeaway. And I hope that if nothing else, and I think that all of it is a blessing. I think that we'll be able to glean, but this is a profound moment. And I hope that our parents listening are really able to drill down on this and, and to bring this perspective into their families and, and perhaps find some wholeness mm-hmm. and some healing. Because I, I will tell you this, we would never ever say to a child who um, lost a parent um, by death or, you know, we would never say to that child, are you, you need to get over that. Right. Like we would never ever say that. And so um, I think it's interesting that we don't allow that same grief and that same hurt and that same the effects of that ripping away for a child of divorce. And, and we need to do yeah. that. We need to yeah. be able to do that. Lauren, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. God bless you. Thank you both. You do the same. Will, I, yeah. you know, I don't know. I, I just have not processed this mm-hmm. in this way before. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about the effects of divorce, when we talk about it, we look at it from the culture perspective, mm-hmm. right? We say how this affects a society right. and everything. But really, we need to be looking at this and how it affects the children. Mm-hmm. And we've mentioned it. Yeah. But yeah. we, I, I think maybe what it is, is in some ways you think if there is the reintroduction of a parent or a parental figure, that that then heals the wound. Mm. And then all of a sudden everything is, you know, right. okie-dokie. Right. right. But it seems that that is a faulty way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. You know, the reintroduction of a, a new person doesn't put a Band-Aid over no. what happened. That's you right. Know, uh, before, you know. Oh. And like she said, the children should have a, a chance to, like, you know, feel that and be able to deal with, with that and not just have like a, uh, we got a replacement, so yeah, we're good, yeah. you know, because that's not how it goes. Man, I hope that this um, this conversation has been a blessing um, to blended families. I got to tell you, it's been a blessing to me and I, you know, I counsel and, and visit, you know, and and so this this changes my perspective. Yeah. Um, first three callers get a copy of this book. If you are in that place where you really need this, I really want you to be blessed with this book. We've got mm. three copies away and the uh, three copies to give away. First, three callers will take it home. Uh, 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. Um, maybe you're listening and you're like, man, this is, I look, I've, I've needed this. Um, mm-hmm. Then I hope you get through and I hope you get this book and I hope that it's a blessing to your family. Mm-hmm. Man, something else that was chilling that Lauren said, you know, You've, you've got such a strain on blended families that there is almost like the threat of another divorce, you know, yeah. that there is another breach. And so, man, we've, we've got to put effort and we, we've got to put great care yeah. into saying, you know, we, we've got to stop it. You right. Know? Because isn't, you know, that's the thing where, where there has been a divorce. A lot of times there, there is another divorce that, mm-hmm. that happens. That's not like a, you know, that's true. It's more um, likely that there's a second one. After, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that threat of you know, and imagine the the child or the, or the children that's involved in that, and and if it's multiple, yeah, you know, so yeah, that's yeah. that's really sad. Um, and I'm thinking from the kids' perspective, mm-hmm. you know, the suffering and the loss, and um, and our look, our families are worth fighting for, right? They're, they're work, they're worth that we put in the effort, right. that it takes to maintain them. So, right. Right. um, I hope that I hope that this book will be a blessing. We've got three of them to give away, and um, as the calls come in, Sherry will get your information. You don't have to talk to me on the air. Um, Sherry will just get your information and we'll put it in the mail to you. And uh, hopefully you can implement some of the strategy mm-hmm. and um, and utilize some of the insight yeah. that is presented by 
uh, Lauren Wright Sema. And uh, again, in case you're listening and maybe you don't want to call in, but you want to get the book yourself, you can get it wherever you get your books. Uh, the title of it is In Their Shoes, Helping Parents Better Understand and Connect with Children of Divorce. Mm. A worthy read, mm. for sure, in the time that we're living in. Okay, well, I don't have time again to do what I wanted to do. We we're talking about exposing agenda right. and how important it is for us to look at where we are now in this country. Again, I would attribute, you know, even the um, what appears to be the caving of corporate Chick Fil A, which mm-hmm. is important. You know, I, I want people to understand that we're, you know, we're not ignorant about how local restaurants operate and how local restaurants have different charities that they give to. Mm-hmm. In fact, I just saw a post that our local Chick-fil-A does give to the Salvation Army. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and so this is a battle. This is something that's happening with local restaurants. Many of the owners of these restaurants we go to church with, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of us in our communities, <laughs> right. we know who these people are. And so um, it's important for us to be measured in our comments because what we're talking about is a corporate policy. And um, and we don't want to show partiality, mm-hmm. but we do want to be fair and to recognize that there are some local restaurants that are doing some things differently. Yeah. And I think that's important. Yeah, very important. I want Do we have time left in the show to share the Billy Graham clip? Yeah, I believe so. I think this will encourage our listeners. We're talking about being bold and we're talking about standing up for what is right and holding the line for Jesus. And here is Billy Graham circa the late 1950s. Listen. John the Baptist lost his head when he stood up for that which was morally right. Joseph went to prison when he refused to yield to temptation. Expect to have some difficulty. And that's a part of our cross there. Jesus said, unless you're willing to deny self, your own selfish desires that are wrong, and are willing to take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my follower and my disciple. If you're going to take your stand for Jesus Christ, and you're going to follow him, it's going to cost you. I'm not asking you to follow Christ because it's easy. I tell you, it's not easy to be a Christian. It's hard in this materialistic, secularistic, immoral generation. The scripture says, let your light shine in this crooked and perverse generation. Mm, Billy Graham, Billy Graham. You know, it is not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. It's not for those who think that it's just your best life. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think so often we miss that. I, I am determined. Mm-hmm. I am absolutely determined to reveal the success of the agenda. Yeah. Now, I have not been able to do it, right? But you, you see all my stickies here. Yeah, Will, it's amazing see. when you read it and you think about when it was written and, man. And like, what has happened. And where we are today. Oh, my goodness. There is no doubt, there is no question that what happened in the United States of America was a concerted effort to desensitize us to the truth of the word of God mm-hmm. and to make us feel guilty over God's standards and believing that those standards are good and right and true. Homosexual activists have done a, a masterful job. And I'm going to tell you, part of the proof in the pudding is that when I say that, you're listening and you're going, oh, Mickey, you sound so mean. That's because you've been conditioned. <laughs> mm. And it's it has been a job that has been done yeah. on the American people. Yeah. All right. We're out of time for today. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.